loves me, and he loves you. And that changes everything. And it changes everything. It changes the way that we hurt. It changes the way that we respond to hurt. It changes where we turn. So this morning, I want to learn with you from Psalm 116 how to love God when it hurts. How to love God when it hurts. I think this is a relevant thing to focus on if you are somebody who has believed in and followed Jesus for decades. I think it's a relevant thing for us to think about. If you're here this morning and you're in the process of trying to figure out what you think about God, what you believe about him, maybe you're in a reevaluation phase or you're kind of exploring and interested but not fully on board with everything the Bible says yet. And even if you're here, I hope there's some here who you're sure that you don't believe. You know you don't believe what is preached from this pulpit, what is said in God's word. I'm glad you're here. And I think this passage is actually relevant for you because I believe Psalm 116 was given to all of us to help us see God as he is and actually love him even when it hurts. So let me read that psalm for us. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. So where we're going this morning from Psalm 116, our hurt, our God, and our love. Our hurt, our God, and our love. Let's pray. Father God, we come here this morning not to hear somebody preach, not to hear me preach, we come here, Jesus, that we might, and that by your Holy Spirit, you would change us. Now, we wouldn't just hear, even just hear you speak, but that you would change us by your Holy, your Holy Spirit so that we walk out of here and we have learned to hurt differently. And we actually start to interact differently with you and with others, with ourselves in the midst of our hurt. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
So, our hurt. Point one. So I'm assuming in this series this summer, we've been in the Psalms this summer, right? Yeah, there's a lot of different Psalms. You've probably gotten some good overview material on the genre of the Psalms, the different genres, uh, the authorship of the Psalms, um, a lot of different things like that. So I just want to let you know that Psalm 116 is one of those Psalms that's anonymous. We don't know who wrote it. And like all the Psalms, one of its primary purposes is that it would teach us to relate our experiences, our emotions, honestly to God. That we would actually commune with him, not just in our experience, but with our experience. And we can see from the psalm itself that our psalmist, whoever he was, he's been through some hurt. Been through some hard times. Verse 6, I was brought low, it says. Verse 10 and 11, I am greatly afflicted. All mankind are liars. Verse 3, the snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. So Sheol, that word means just the physical grave. And so the experience, if you've ever had it, where it feels like maybe you're close to death because of a a disease or an illness or an injury, or the experience where it just feels like almost the grim reaper is dogging your steps, trying to drag you down, drag you back towards the grave, towards the devil, towards old habits you thought you had left behind. Some of us in this room, probably most of us, either have felt or are feeling the numbness of shock, the overwhelming sadness, the pressing fear, that hurt, that painful physical feeling in the back of your throat when you desperately need to cry, but you actually can't cry for whatever reason. We hurt. And even more of us than those more dramatic examples are dealing with smaller hurts, you know, jobs that you don't like. You go through every day because you need to, but you don't enjoy them. Uh, distanced relationships that you just wish were closer unhealed wounds of the past, mild to moderate anxiety, hurts that don't debilitate as much as drag at our heels. We hurt. Everybody in this room hurts. But some of you in this morning, you're not really in that spot. You're actually feeling pretty good. You're enjoying your life. And maybe you're even feeling a little bit like frustrated with what is, feels like is going to be kind of a downer of a sermon. It's like, okay, we get it. Like, we're supposed to be sad. Like, uh, can we please have a happy psalm? And actually, this psalm is really joyful. Like you've seen that, there's a lot of rejoicing and joy in this psalm. And the thing that I love about this, it's not asking us to put on a long face or you know, pretend that we're more, it's not asking you to kind of like just wade into the sorrows and stay there. What I want us to see is how this psalmist has arrived at this place of great joy, great rejoicing, but through his hurt. They're both there, the hurt and the joy. So how did he get there? How does he get to that place? If we can figure that out, we can figure out how to love God when it hurts, whenever that hurt comes for you, even if you're not there at that place. So when hurt comes, or if you are there now, you encounter this reality, which is hard, that if God exists, he doesn't just allow suffering, he sends it. He doesn't just allow pain as much as we'd like to kind of soften the blow with that language, he ordains pain. How can I love God when it hurts? How can I love the God who hurts me? How can I love the God who ordains pain? They're good questions. 
but we rarely ask them, at least out loud. We rarely even ask them to God. We'd rather hide from our hurt. We'd rather numb it, distract ourselves, self-medicate. And the psalms that we write with our lives, with our actions, they're often very different from Psalm 116. The psalms we write with our lives sound more like this anti-psalm that I wrote. It's kind of a secular psalm, a psalm of unbelief. I modeled it after Psalm 116, and while it's kind of autobiographical, you know, in terms of my experience, I think you'll see yourself in it too. So listen to this anti-psalm. I feel ambivalent toward the Lord because he seems not to hear my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he didn't give me immediate tangible relief, therefore I will seek help elsewhere as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of Netflix, YouTube, and ESPN. O streaming services, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious and righteous is Dunkin' Donuts. My Starbucks is merciful. Workaholism preserves the attentive. When I was brought low, it saved me. Return, O my soul, to creating a tidy home and family for it is dealt bountifully with you. Social media delivers my soul from thinking of mortality, my eyes from seeing what's right in front of me, my feet from stumbling on reality. I will walk in my best clothes and shoes in the presence of those who make me feel better about myself. I kept trusting my own performance, even when I said I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord to get him to love me? I will lift up the cup of good behavior and try to read my Bible more. I'll make impressive claims of spirituality in the presence of all his people. God must really not care about the death of his saints. O oh Lord, since you seem not to care, I will bargain with you so that you might loose my bonds. I'll offer to you the sacrifice of church attendance and promise to be better from here on out. I will pay my vows to empty morality and performance mentality in the presence of all the people in the midst of the neighbors. It's over, but I don't want to say amen. Right? Like it starts kind of funny, and then it's like, oh. <laughs> we do this with our lives. We'd never teach this psalm to our kids. We'd never memorize it. But we all write psalms like this with our lives when it hurts. Your version is different, but it's there. We do this because when we hurt, we need love. We need love. And like uh, a kid on the playground who falls down and hurts himself, we run to open arms, but often we run to the wrong ones, the wrong arms. The thin comfort of looking like we have it all together, the sweet relief of sugar, substances, sex, the numbing universe of TV shows, endless scrollable content, movies, the compelling distractions of work, studies, sports, social media debates, even a romantic relationship. Where do you run when you hurt? One of my favorite destinations used to be World's Fair Donut Shop on Vandeventer Avenue in St. Louis. When I lived there, it was like two blocks from my house. It was dangerous. And so if I had a hard day, uh, I could just swing right by there. On my way home, I didn't even have to like change my route. It was just right there. Turn in, dozen donuts. I wouldn't always eat it right then. Sometimes a few of them made it to the evening. And that was just a great, it helped me, you know? It wasn't good for me. It kind of helped me in the moment. 
Where do you run? Might be a funny example. Might be something more serious. What is that thing for you? Hold that in your mind. How long will it take for us to realize that these things that we run to, they don't love us back? They don't give us the love that we need. Even if it's a person, even if it's mainly a romantic relationship for you or a friendship for you that you run to, even that person, they can't give you the perfect love that you need, that your heart craves when you're in pain. The things that we run to, they give us a quick dopamine rush, a little bit of oxytocin, moments of relief or distraction, and they may even prop you up with a socially acceptable, even respectable scaffolding, like workaholism, you know, the tidy family home life. People love that. But eventually it falls. And when it does, you do. But God's not like that. If God is who he claims to be in the Bible, in this psalm, he's not only the one who ordains our hurt, and he doesn't simply offer us palliative care, like treating the symptoms. Here, I'll make you feel a little bit better if you just kind of figure out the right way to be holy enough or whatever. He actually heals us. God heals us. But we have questions for this God who claims to be a healer. If God is as good as the Bible claims that he is, he'd never let this terrible thing happen, right? So either he must not be that good or he must not be in control. Or we conclude that this God, who it hurts so bad to love, he must not love us. He must actually not love us. If it hurts this bad to love him, my life still hurts, he must not really care about me. Is this true? Who is this God who ordains our hurts and heals our hurts? What does he have to say for himself? And will we listen? So part two, our God. Our God. Verses one and two. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and, inclined, and, and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Verses five through eight. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Some of you here may be thinking, that's not my experience. He doesn't seem to hear my voice or my pleas for mercy. I've been brought low, but he hasn't saved me. He hasn't dealt bountifully with me. My eyes are still full of tears, and my feet still stumble. Let's just say it out loud. Life doesn't just hurt in general. It actually hurts to love God. Loving God is painful. The Christian life is a painful life. What do we do with that? This psalm teaches us two things that are true of God, even when life with him hurts. God hears and God cares. First, God hears. Verses 1 and 2. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. While the psalmist was in the midst of his hurt, pleading for mercy, God heard. It says he inclined his ear to me. We know God doesn't have like a physical ear, 
But this is telling us that the God of the universe, he actually changes his posture. He points himself towards you when you call on him in the midst of your hurt. He points himself at you. Any of you who are parents, you've had this experience. You know, let's say your kids are out playing with neighborhood kids or in the backyard with somebody else. And you're, you're there, like in, within the vicinity, the vicinity, but you're not really paying specific attention to what's going on. Maybe you're, you know, writing on your laptop or cooking or on your phone or something. And, um, you know, it's getting loud back there. And then all of a sudden, you hear one voice cry out. And maybe nobody else would, like, notice or pay attention, but you know that's your kid. And they're calling out in pain or distress, and you go to them. Immediately, you hear it, you notice, you because you're their parent. They're your child, and your ear is tuned to that frequency. And this is saying God's ear is tuned to the frequency of his children who are in pain. He hears. Someone here, though, is thinking, it's kind of easy to say, preacher, right? But God's invisible. We can't see him, and I don't feel his attention when I hurt. It actually feels more like abandonment. Why should I believe that God hears when I hurt when the evidence of my life seems to say the opposite? And uh, I just want to say, oops, I just want to say if you're there, I have been there too. I think a lot of us have been there in that place where uh, the life kind of goes dark, you do not feel God's presence for months at a time maybe, no tangible sense of God's presence or care for me, I get that question. And the mysterious thing about God is that he opened himself up wide open to that critique. Right? So he came as a physical man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, because of our pain, to meet us in our pain, to take our pain on himself. And then he left. He left, and we no longer see him. And he told us to pray for what we long for, to pray for help, promise that he would hear us, and yet when we do that, he doesn't always grant what we want. He opened himself up to this critique. He walked right into the accusation that he doesn't hear. So I want you to think about this. We all have this choice of who do, who do I invite into my hurt? When I'm not feeling strong, when my mascara is you know, running down my face, Am I going to call somebody? Who am I going to actually invite in to, to see me like that, to know me, to be with me? It's either that or suffer alone, right? Don't we long for someone to be with us when we hurt? Aren't we longing for God even if we don't believe in him? Aren't we longing for someone who can be with us and not judge us and not try to fix us, but be with us and love us and care for us? Even if your experience has been that God is not there, doesn't the proof that you long for that suggest that you were made for that? And if you were made for that, it's because he made you. And if he made you, shouldn't you expect him to hear you? Why not invite God into your pain, even if he seems really far off? God is there. He hears. And second, God cares. God cares. That's what we learn about God in this passage. I think probably the most enigmatic line from, verse, from the psalm is verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. 
Throughout the psalm, you can kind of see that death kind of lurks in the background. The psalmist has been thinking about it. Maybe he was close to death, had a near-death experience, maybe in warfare, maybe through sickness, or maybe people have just been threatening his life in some way. Some of you have been there, have come close. Almost all of us have lost a loved one to death, perhaps before their time. Does God care? Does this matter to him? This says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That word precious could also be translated costly. The death of one of his children is costly to him. It's no small thing in his sight. And if your death matters, how much more to him does your life matter? Your life and your death has weight with God. He cares. In fact, he loves you. He loves you as none of the other things that you run to in the midst of your hurt love you. How do we know? How do we know that? If you're hurting right now or you've hurt in the past, you actually you may feel like he doesn't care, he doesn't love you, like he's forgotten you and he's unmoved by your pain. But the God of Psalm 116 is also the God who came to earth to take our pain on himself. Jesus willingly subjected himself to pain and death for our sakes because he loves us. He was wounded, beaten, spit upon, mocked, exposed, and crucified. He suffered emotional pain, spiritual pain, physical pain that we'll never know. Some of y'all heard a lot. Some of y'all have heard a lot. But Jesus has suffered pains that we'll never experience for our sake because he loves us. In fact, he did that so that we would never have to hurt like that, like he did. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've ever said that or felt that, no, Jesus said it first. He's been there. In this broken world of broken hearts, why does it hurt so much to love God may not be the best question. Perhaps the better question is, why did God hurt so much for us? Was it to guarantee us a painless life? Was it to give us a special little get-out-of-pain-free kind of ticket? You know, when you're in pain, so if you can kind of find the right way to be holy enough or pray enough, and that's kind of your ticket out of pain. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We want a purpose. What's the point of this pain? What am I supposed to learn so I can go ahead and learn it and get out of the pain? But instead, Jesus gives us a path, the way of suffering. He gives us a process. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He gives us a person, himself. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he gives us a promise. This is the best one. He gives us a promise that he will one day end our hurt. He will stop our pain. He will deliver our bodies from death and decay. He will heal our wounded hearts. He will mend our minds. He will destroy death and he will welcome us into his wedding feast. And at his right hand, we will enjoy pleasures and joy forevermore. That's the promise. And so we cry out for relief. Even as the psalmist did, we beg him to take away our addictions and our sin and our afflictions. We rejoice when diseases are healed 
when trials end, when tears turn to laughter. And we try to see how God might use our pain to shape us, to grow us. But as long as salvation tarries, and it does tarry, as long as we hurt and we don't see the point, we remember that we see Jesus most clearly in this life through our tears. That he will come again to take away our hurt. And that we can love him in the meantime most fully while we hurt. How? How do, how do we do that? We're aware of our hurt. We've been reminded of our God and who he is. So let's consider our love. How do we love God when it hurts? We see two ways. Love speaks to God with pain, and love looks to God for salvation. Love speaks to God with pain. Verse 10, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. I believed even when I spoke. You may see a note in your ESV Bible. Um, this could also be translated, I believed, therefore I spoke. I spoke because I believed. In faith, the psalmist says to God, I'm greatly afflicted, all mankind are liars. That's a statement of faith in God. Do you speak to God with your pain? Not merely tidy, theologically correct prayers while you hurt. You know, once you've kind of like wiped the tears away and like, okay, tidy, theologically correct prayer to God now in relation to my, but like with your pain in the midst of it. God, I'm hopeless. I'm hurting. Everyone's against me. Life has gone dark. Where are you? There's this film, The Tree of Life, by Terrence Malick. Some of y'all may have seen that. I recommend it to you. Some people say it's the best film ever made. It's long. It's interspersed with these whispered prayers as the main characters kind of go through their life and have these experiences. Prayers that were voiced aloud or just spoken in the mind. It's an incredibly heart-wrenching film, especially as uh, the mother, played by Jessica Chastain, loses one of her sons um, in a war. He's killed in a war, and she loses her son, and her whispered prayers are honest and raw. God, where were you? You could have saved him. A preacher tells her, well, he's in God's hands now, and she says, wasn't he in God's hands the whole time? God is not wounded or offended by these prayers. Not all sharp and jagged prayers are blasphemy. When we experience a gap between the God that we know and the experience that we have, he wants us to give honest voice to that experience, to that confusion, to that pain. We can love God and trust him and go to him in faith with our pain. And yet we don't stop there, right? I'm not saying that the rest of the Christian life is just this great quandary where we just bring our pain to God. It's not that, because there's more to it. We look to God for salvation because he has promised salvation. Throughout the psalm, it's clear. He's been begging God for help, relief, deliverance from his troubles. And it's clear that God has saved him. Right? That's why he wrote the psalm. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. He has gotten what some of us have experienced and what some of us are still longing for. And what I want us to see is just that faithful love doesn't begin with thanksgiving. You're not like a real holy Christian once you get to a point where you kind of have everything you need and you feel like God's been really good to you. That's not where it starts. Your faithful love for God has not grown in easy times. It grows and begins when you look to him before deliverance comes. 
Have you ever gone boating and gotten stranded? You know, like you took a little motorboat and the motor cut out or something, or maybe you lost your paddle, I don't know. And you're out there in the middle of your lake or whatever body of water far from shore, and you just have to kind of sit there. <laughs> and you don't really have a thing to do to get out of it. And uh, it can feel like that in the middle of our hurt sometimes, like the waves are going to overthrow us or threaten. You're like, what if a storm comes up? And I've been in that position. Um, I was rescued by someone who saw my distress and came to me from the shore. And Jesus is saying, your, your response to pain is not to like start you know, paddling with your hands or I don't know. It's to look to me on the shore because he's on the shore. Jesus is okay. Jesus is God. He's our Savior. And in pain, we look to him and trust that he will come to us and save us. That's our response to pain. So can we turn from all the ways that we medicate, numb, distract from our hurt, and look to Jesus instead? We can because he gives us the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget the Holy Spirit that he gives us right now. He gives us as the comforter to help us follow Jesus in the midst of our hurt. The Holy Spirit may not make it hurt less, but he will help us walk the way of the cross, which is the way of salvation, which is coming, because your Savior is coming. Behold, I'm coming soon, he said, coming with healing in his wings, coming to wipe every tear from your eyes. And on that day, I'm just going to read this to you from Revelation. It's beautiful. This is coming to you as a child of God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. For now... Christians may hurt more than anybody else. Jesus certainly did. And that makes him a God unlike any other God. And so we can love him even when it hurts, until the pain ends. And this is our truest and boldest and most authentic and believable expression of the beauty of Jesus Christ before the watching world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, oh my goodness, Lord, that you have not left us alone. It does hurt. It is scary. It is disorienting. And yet, Jesus, we have your promises. We have your person and the Holy Spirit.